I I don't think there's been a better time to go to university in the last 10, 15 years. Hello podcast listeners and welcome to the EdTech podcast. My name is Sophie Bailey and I hope you're all doing very well out there. A big shout out to Helen Hodges, a learning design manager for the BBC Academy, who tweeted to us this week. She says, started the day with a refreshing walking meeting. Lunch was an informative walking at podcast EdTech VocTech listen Really appreciating the remote working possibilities today. Grinning face with smiling eyes. So thank you so much, Helen. What a a lovely tweet. And I agree that podcasts in the morning are a great way to get the brain whirring. And I'm hoping very much to be able to share some of my thoughts from out on my daily walk in some of our forthcoming episodes. Uh, And until then, thank you so much for listening in. We had a record 12,625 downloads, no less, in June. So if you're looking to get a message out there, why not inquire about advertising on the podcast for the rest of 2020? Now, before our episode today, let me remind you that we are opening up our blog. We're looking for constructive thoughts on how digital teaching and learning, administration and workplace learning can evolve. Several articles are already underway, including one university leader writing about the US's recent decision to reject foreign student visas for students of those universities with only an online offer, which seems a particularly sour spotlight on university financing in America if you look at these things uh, cynically. If you'd like to get something off your chest, email theedtechpodcast at gmail.com and we will get back to you when we can. What else? We've got several episodes coming up on lockdown as it evolves in the UK, EdTech demonstrator schools and colleges, the missed opportunity of early stage careers and internships, and a one-to-one with the CEO of the company 2U on online learning, universities and upskilling. Oh, and by the way, if you'd like to put a question to the CEO of 2U, we are collecting them and already have some amazing ones that have come in including most new edtech and online learning offerings are based on a presumption of where the world and market is going. But in the current situation, how can companies prepare students for a world which we don't yet know? Um, And this is always the case, but especially so at the moment. Um, And this one also, now more universities have woken up to online education. Will that be a good or a bad thing for OPMs? If you've got an amazing question, send it in ASAP to the edtechpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, the Times Higher Ed are looking for a content curator and the job is going to go like hotcakes, apparently. Working with Sarah Custer, who I last met properly at a late night bar in Austin, Texas. It looks like a great role and I don't even get a finder's fee, so do go and check it out. Right, on with this week's episode. This week, I'm chatting to Chris Headland, Director of Teaching and Learning for the School of Computer Science at the University of Lincoln in the UK. I connected with Chris's work preparing for a future episode of The Edge, our higher education series, which is coming up again in September. But we ended up having such a good chat that I'm going to go ahead and push the publishing button now. 
Chris developed an innovative way to keep students and staff connected to the University of Lincoln during lockdown by creating a virtual campus called Lincoln Island, which has been downloaded over 8,000 times. As you'll hear from the podcast recording, Chris is refreshingly bullish about the academic year ahead, with due respect to the pandemic, but focusing on the opportunity for universities to really reinvigorate their teaching and learning and student centricity. Students have wanted more things online for years. They've wanted more recorded lectures. They've wanted more options. They've wanted more choice, flexibility and ownership over how they learn. And I think if anything... The current situation is forcing us to to evaluate how we deliver that. And like I say, from my perspective, I'm really excited about the plans that we're putting in place for next year. And let's say COVID is not at the centre of that. Students are at the centre of that. However, with caution against online-only models for universities, Chris reminds the sector to treat the reality of local lockdowns as well as the needs of shielding students seriously. I, I wouldn't be surprised if... I, f- I think the Leicester thing is quite interesting. Mm. I'd be surprised if it goes back into lockdown at some point. I mean, yeah. all this, it, they've proven that, that it could ha- and will happen. So yeah. I, at least all my plans at the moment are predicated around... That's a really good idea, yeah. Going back into lockdown could be a real possibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of our chat is prefaced with our recent shared experience of having a baby during lockdown. Something you might get sick of me talking about soon which throws up some interesting and memorable anecdotes. So thanks again for listening and have a wonderful week. Here's my chat with Chris. Um, So Chris Hedlund, Director of Teaching and Learning for the School of Computer Science at the University of Lincoln is on the line. Chris, so all the students are hopefully coming back in September uh, they don't know what to expect with reopening the universities necessarily because of COVID, how it's going to look different and feel different. So what was your unusual solution to making students feel more comfortable about the reopening of universities? So, the, the, I mean, I suppose what drove this really was actually seeing that people were missing the university more than anything else. Um, and... What we tend to get over summer is we tend to get students who will come for a visit, will come for a walk around, um, often with parents. And obviously, when we were in lock, when we were in full lockdown, that was completely impossible. You know, people were staying in their home or at least very very close to their home. Um, and we were looking at a way of kind of getting around that and actually getting people to the point where they, they could at least know how to navigate around the university because. You know, it's stressful enough moving to a new place. You know, a lot of students move cities, uh, change environments entirely to go to university. So we thought, well, we'll build a, a virtual recreation of it. Um, it actually just all started with building one building, you know, for a very different purpose. We wanted to kind of build a research environment. And we based it on one of the buildings on campus because, uh, you know, that's what we knew. And it kind of developed out from there. So once we had this one building, we thought, well, you know, lockdown just started. We thought, why don't we expand that? And we've kind of created this this uh, virtual environment kind of exploration game with quests and things. So th- the idea is that people can learn how to get themselves around. So while they're trying to navigate the, you know, new friendships, new relationships, a uh, new educational space, they're not having to figure out where certain buildings on campus are or where they can get a coffee for, for lunch. So hopefully, you know, we're quite hopefully it's kind of achieving that. How have you built this virtual campus? 
so it's built in Unity 3D, which is a games engine. Mm. So it was, it was built up over um, a number of phases. So the first thing we, we kind of did was we took um, a load of GPS information from mm. OpenStreetMap and Google Maps to kind of work out what all the footprints of the buildings look like and, and how big everything is and what the scale is. And then we started just over time, slowly, you know, working our way through that map to add content. You know, we would replace a placeholder building with an actual building model. Once we kind of got that basic model in, it was just a case of going in and beautifying, adding um, AI, NPCs. One of the, the nice things about Lincoln Island, actually, is we uh, did a survey with some of our current staff and students. And they actually, you know, they, they sent us their kind of likeness and we kind of recreated them in the virtual world with things that they would say so as you're wandering around you can kind of get this idea of what the i suppose what the culture of the university is like what the ethos is just by chatting to the npcs and every npc in there does represent the virtualization of a real person a lot of them said very similar things um a lot of the students like the fact that the university of lincoln's quite a it's a compact environment it's a city campus university but it feels you know it feels like you're abstracted from the city, but it's just around the corner. Uh, there's a real kind of tight community feel, and a lot of that was coming out through the statements. And I don't, I don't know, that kind of makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's it's nice to to know that students have that kind of connection with the space. And have any of the prospective or existing students kind of met on this virtual campus now that's built? At the moment, it's a single player. We, we do have a multiplayer version, which we're hopefully going to release in the next kind of few weeks to a month. Um, and then, you know, maybe we'll be able to do some uh, more meet and greets in the space. But uh, it certainly seems people are sharing their experience. And um, I mean, even on Facebook, if you actually look at the, the Universal Link um, Facebook page, we released a video of Lincoln Island on there. And there's quite a lot of students who've watched that now. I think it's been mm. watched about 8,500 times. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it, it's as much as anything else, it's been kind of a, an interesting conversation starter, right? So from your point of view, you know, how have the last uh, few weeks been as you and your colleagues are trying to think about how to reopen the University of Lincoln? So it's so it's been quite a manic time, right? So we're, we're trying to do quite a lot of work just to kind of put the groundwork into making sure that when students come back, they have a really great experience. Um it's interesting, actually. I mean, this as a, as a director of teaching and learning, this has been a unique challenge. Um, I've been saying to a few people, right, when, um, you know, when you're little and you're doing uh, assignments in, in junior school, and there's always that one where you've got to knock on the door of a, an old person on your road and ask them about the war, <laughs> you know. I, yeah. I kind of feel like in <laughs> when I'm 80, the, the little boy down the street's going to knock on my door. It's going to be, this is our kind of, it, 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 this is a, such a unique challenge. It's going to define and this generation, isn't it? Definitely. It, absolutely. You know, it's it's such a, a a unique set of circumstances. But one thing that we are trying to do at Lincoln is not to put COVID at the centre of our discussions. Hmm. What we're saying is, look, this is our environment. This is what's happening. And these are the boundaries that we're working within. How do we enhance the student experience? So regardless of anything else, putting the students at the core of that discussion. And actually, I think there's there's going to be a lot of really good practice developed during this time because it is forcing people to innovate. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, relatively speaking, teaching and learning hasn't changed substantially since Socrates, right? <laughs> now, we're starting to look at whole new models and ways of 
not working around COVID, but ways of working with our new environment, ways of working with our new space. And and I'm actually really excited about what we prepared at Lincoln. I think we have a a fantastic blended model that I think the students are really going to benefit from. I think we've we've taken a lot of time to optimize and think about how we structure that experience in in a really kind of logical and progressive way that gives students maximum ownership over their learning. Um, I mean, look, a lot, you know, we, we keep talking about, you know, a lot of people talk about when things go back to normal. I think mm-hmm. we need to start changing that narrative because it's not going to go back to the way it was. Regardless of what happens, this has been a defining moment of our generation. This is going to be such a, a checkpoint in, in rethinking how we consider practice. Um, and students have wanted more things online for years. They've wanted more recorded lectures. They've wanted more options. They've wanted more choice, flexibility, and ownership over how they learn. And I think, if anything, the current situation is forcing us to to evaluate how we deliver that. And let's say from my perspective, I'm really excited about the plans that we're putting in place for next year. And let's say COVID is not at the centre of that. Students are at the centre of that. Absolutely brilliant. Well, that was a fantastic answer. Um, and and just very quickly, can you kind of share some of how that will work in practice? So which are the bits that yeah, you're most so, excited about? Yeah, so we, we're taking a blended approach where there'll be a certain amount on campus and a certain amount that will be allowing students to work from their own spaces. Um, some of that will be online, some of that will be using computers, some of that will be using the you know, really old-fashioned technologies like books um, and actually looking at ways that we, when we're talking about blending, we're not just bolting an online practice onto a, a physical model. We're rethinking the model from the ground up um, and actually making the most of things like asynchronous practice, so mm-hmm. giving students the opportunity to access lecture materials as and when so they can go back and forwards um, allowing them to focus on areas that really interest them. Um, we're looking at using our face-to-face delivery modes for more kind of supportive, discussive, um, conversational elements of the course. Um, all of that is within social distancing considered, right? So we don't exactly know what social distancing will look like in September. Um, Obviously, the government's released new guidelines and they may do that again. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Obviously, one of our cities has now gone back into lockdown. Yeah, it cracked, it cracked me up <laughs> on the news um, recently. <clears throat> it was after they'd um, advised that, you know, it's one metre plus and there was a shop owner and she seemed highly irate that she had to now redo all of her signage rather than be, you know, kind of frankly um, quite pleased that she may now have like double the amount of customers in her shop. But but like I can completely imagine how annoying it is to to develop your plans and then have to, you know, it, it's a it's a crash course and iteration, isn't it? And uh, sort of being being kind of agile in that way. Exactly. And I, th- I think that's going to be the core of what we all do is, is ultimately we're having to look at how do you maintain a level of agility and flexibility in the learning space um so for example i mean there's a really good chance that we could go back into full lockdown in the country Mm. how do we you know respond to that when it when it isn't um 
when we've had the chance to consider and, and plan for that and we might find that you know we've gone down to one meter we may go back up to two meters we may mm-hmm. extend to three meters there may be new advice regarding ppe we don't really know and, and the core of our plans has been saying you know how much can we go in one or the other direction more online more face-to-face um and i think once you've got the core of that learning plan defined um as long as you know what the nuts and bolts are and you know that will work in any kind of environment then anything you add on top of that is enhancement mm-hmm. um and i think that allows you to be really flexible because if you know that your core is delivered regardless of um of the circumstance it means you've got a real opportunity to enhance the student's learning with um you know employability and you know for computer science can we do additional languages can we learn additional skills can we, you know i think there's real opportunities there absolutely super interesting um i'm hoping to speak to some of the big sort of mooc providers because it feels like it's a it's also um you know where they kind of got dismissed and now it's like actually if students are going to uh review their options that's a potential credible one again um so there's, there's so many spin-offs from from what's happening there think, is yeah. and there's quite a lot of kind of um targeted stuff going on as well at the moment and actually this is the one of the areas that worries me a little bit mm. i keep an eye on things like adverts that are coming out for students and you think some of this is really kind of disruptive there there's new online providers popping up every kind of day and and you look at the kind of stuff they're delivering and you think wow this is this is problematic and it's um i think it's there, there's, there seems to be two kind of classic companies. There's been the companies that have really risen to the challenge and kind of said, look, you know, this is our tools, this is how we can help, this is how we can support, this is how we can help make the new normal better than what you've had before. And the other end, there seems to be this kind of, um, you know, whenever there's a crisis, there's always going to be people who try to monopolise on that and, and try to profiteer out of that. And that's that's the the bit of this that worries me a little bit i mean i I get targeted almost daily on linkedin from from some new tool and it it, that's worrying me a little bit yeah yeah the opportunism um and you know we also don't need any more webinars in this space (laughs) because it's been a very interesting time for me being on maternity and then suddenly online learning absolutely exploding uh and this whole subject of uh ed tech you know really but i've also noticed um in the same way just um yeah webinars left right and centers you know online conferences and uh i think as the recipient of that it can also feel overwhelming in terms of choice so so it doesn't always serve that company well um so i think it's easy to get overwhelmed with it all as Mm -hmm. well right i mean so I'm, i'm seeing that from a slightly different perspective so I, uh, my son, um, wasn't sleeping particularly well one night and, uh, my poor wife had been up all day trying to feed him and so on. And so I took him away into the office and with a, a bottle of milk and I was just, sort of, I wonder what's online at the moment. And I found a teaching and learning, um, seminar in New Zealand that was happening <laughs> when I was awake. Right. And it was amazing that I could just kind of connect to that and, you know, it, didn't distance didn't matter it might as well have been in basingstoke right so that i quite like i quite like the 
again, I think I think this is going to force us to rethink what internationalization is. You know, it's we are living in a digital world. We are living in a very connected world, and that is going to lend itself to a lot of opportunities. And I think if anything, part of the kind of lockdown is is people are going, well, actually, no, we can do these things. I mean, let's let's take the environmental crisis. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much I'm going to be in a rush to go to another. To, to fly to another conference overseas. Mm. And actually, if I can reduce my international travel down even just a little, the, the, the environmental impact, if we're all doing that, is quite high. Um, and it's cheaper. I mean, I can, you know, get, I, I went to a conference a few years ago where conference fees, hotel and accommodation and flights probably cost about three and a half grand in total. Um, but like I say, I, I just went to a seminar in New Zealand and it was free. <laughs> And I don't see that substantially from the, you know, obviously I missed the opportunity to visit a new city and things like that, but the actual content I was getting was was equal, you know, just as good a quality. So I'm not sure how quick I'm going to want to pack my bag, leave my wife and son to go for a weekend conference in another country. And again, um, I have a friend who travels overseas a lot for business. Um, he'll usually fly to two different countries a month. And his business hasn't been interrupted at all. They've just done everything via yeah. Zoom or Skype or whatever. So is he going to be in a huge rush to jump on a plane again? I, I well, don't think he is. I think this is very interesting because I think it's, it's one of the big questions that falls out from all of this. You know, Do you think this will disrupt the traditional schedule of uh, university? So starting in September or the fall, as some like to call it, and then you know, everything being laid out over a certain year. And I know some universities and especially some in Australia have tinkered around with, you know, creating a enrol anytime university. You know, does it throw up some of those questions and how realistic are they in the sort of short term as well? So the easy and easy out university has a lot of advantage for certain people. So uh, part-time learners, people who are wanting to... Um, even move between institutions you know they want to do a certain amount at one institution and then go to another um it doesn't potentially work for certain subjects because uh one body of knowledge follows another and actually there's this incremental learning phase so you can't just roll on any point unless everything is going to be completely asynchronous mm-hmm. but actually Part of that synchronous element of a university is why people go to a campus university to interact with their lecturers in that way. Yeah. Um, I do wonder how much this is going to influence kind of a disruption in that. Um, Certainly if everyone's creating online materials, that does change the the way people are going to approach what they consider local, what their local university is. Um, I think people are getting a much broader mindset on that front and that could have impact i mean i've um i've been chatting with colleagues who are even talking about doing collaborative modules and we're actually talking about doing some collaborative work with an overseas institution Hmm. and again we can essentially share modules they can deliver something on our program we can deliver something on their program because we can deliver because we now we have this kind of skill set or not even the skill set there's i think the skill set already existed there's now this impetus and um desire to do kind of more to innovate around that space 
So yeah, potentially. I I think I'm not sure I see the easy in the out easy and easy out model coming to the UK that much. But I do see a lot more cross teaching, a lot more cross modules, cross institutions. Uh, I think I see a lot more exposure in that way. I mean, I mean, it comes the timelines. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, there was the announcement the other day that the government are are talking about changing start dates and things like that. So I mean, we could even look at January starts being the the norm. You know, it's it, it's a time of change in HE. I mean that that's a big one for HE, isn't it? Having a completely different start date. Yeah, quite. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, it makes sense, you know, on the face of it to do uh, to do this kind of post day level application. It's an interesting model. It does mean disrupting the entire sector. <laughs> um, but maybe you know, I mean, we've we've had this this model for how many years now? Maybe it's time to disrupt the sector. Um, yeah. I, Again, like with all these things, you know, when anything comes out of the government level, we sit with bated breath and see what's going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I say, somehow, kind of sickly, I've, I've, I've almost been enjoying the planning because I mean, it's like playing the ultimate game of chess, right? You're trying to yeah. line up your pieces, and and you know, you're waiting for that that perfect move that's going to finish it all off. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to what the students are going to get next year. I think, I think they are going to have a. Um, a unique experience mm. i think they are going to have something that is um never been done before and and i've been saying to people you know that, that there's this worry across the sector that whether um you know the student numbers are going to drop and, mm. and so on and i appreciate that but at the same time i don't just think this is a good time to go to university i think this might be one of the best times to go to university ever because the amount of additional stuff that's being put on mm-hmm. to make this an exciting experience to make this something that is, is really valuable i i don't think there's been a better time to go to university in the last 10 15 years yeah you had the ucas figures come out and it doesn't actually look like it's dropped that much and then i guess it just no. depends on the day when you know how many people decide to and defer or not let's say i mean at my university what we're one of the things we've done is um, invested in kind of additional certifications since they're going to do all these kind of um, additional kind of online um, transferable skills stuff. And I think it's, it's really exciting. It's a really exciting time to be an educator. Um, and yeah, I do think the fact that people are being forced to rethink, you know, we've been doing the chalk and talk method since Socrates and now we're like saying, well, actually, you know, let, let's rethink this. Let's do something new. Let's try something new. Let's let's go back to the, putting the students at the centre of everything. Has that been a lot of weekends and evenings in terms of rebuilding the courses? Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm quite looking forward to I've got a couple of weeks off booked and I'm very much looking forward to them. But like I say, I mean, it's flexibility goes two ways right i mean i've i've been doing a lot of evenings and weekends and stuff but i've also been able to go out for a walk at lunchtime with my son and yeah it's it's a lot of work it's a it's a hell of a lot of work i don't want kind of undersell that but it's it feels purposeful and it feels like the sector in the most places are pulling in the same direction um which is which is good. I love it. I love the I love the enthusiasm and um, 
yeah, I mean, September is going to be a very interesting time, that's for sure. So, oh, god, yes, it's. Um, I mean, there's there's one thing that you know you hear quite a lot of people talking about is you know when we get assumed back on site and things like that. But I think sometimes people are forgetting that there are still students who are going to be shielding. It it just I love the strategy of it. I love the planning of it, and it's nice to have that as a director of teaching and learning. It's nice to have that remit to to tear up the rule book and start again. Um, I just wish the 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 motivator hadn't been a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> that, you know, yeah, it just feels. Um, I don't want to be one of those those jackasses who says, "Yay, COVID." Um, and there has been a bit too much of that, especially from. I mean, I saw this massive Twitter post about, yeah, this is the year of the digital education. This is the the time that digital education has been preparing for, and make or break companies. And oh, crikey! Yeah, there's really a bigger picture. A pan- yeah, if you need a pandemic to make your product sell, then your product's no good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very well said. So, are you on paternity now? I still no, I'm not on paternity leave anymore. It feels like I am. I was about to say yes, but no. Um, I I came. I, I had uh, a month on paternity, and that was absolutely fantastic. Um, it meant it does actually mean it meant I missed a lot of the initial pivots online. Um, but no, I'm, I mean I'm still. It's it's one of the the interesting things about working from home. I'm I'm seeing a lot more of my son growing up than mm. I, I would have done normally. Um, He's also had a really interesting experience growing up because, I mean, he sits in half my Zoom meetings now, right? <laughs> I, I'll have a, a chat on... He, he, really cute, actually. He went through this, the phase of kind of starting to look and follow faces. Mm-hmm. And I'd sit on a, a Microsoft Teams meeting and there'd be six people on screen and he'd be, like, watching them all going, <laughs> wow, what is this? <laughs> Six-headed um, monster. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, that's his normal. That's That's what he thinks, you know, he's... He interacts with his grandparents on a almost daily basis, but it's via WhatsApp. Um, it's interesting the time he's growing up in, and like I say, he's going to have such a different experience than than I had. Um, I mean, if I want to see my grandfather when I was little, it was a case of going over to his house. Mm-hmm. Now, if he wants to see his his grandma, you know, when he's old enough to kind of ask for that, I mean, just fire up WhatsApp and he'll be able to chat away, <laughs> but. You know, I'm, I'm certainly. I mean, his grandparents have certainly wanted to give him a hug now. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Ours is yet to meet them, but uh, hopefully coming up after they allow overnight stays. So it's quite yeah, exciting. It's it's um, yeah. I mean, I say it's uh, my my parents and uh, my wife's parents have been waiting quite a while for a, a grandchild. So uh, they are absolutely itching to come and give them. A yeah. Call, so. Brilliant. Well, Chris, thank you so much. It's been absolutely brilliant to chat to you and um, you too. wishing you all the best with the university opening and um, yeah, sharing this with our listeners as well. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's all for this week, folks. I've got my parents coming over for the first time to meet their new grandson. So off to put up some bunting in the garden. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love a rate and review. And I know from listening to podcasts that it's very easy to uh, listen to that message and then forget to go and do it. So if you're at a computer now, then uh, do feel free to go to where you listen to your podcasts and just get that task ticked off your ever-lengthening to-do list. 
Now, for all the show notes, it's theedtechpodcast.com. And that's it. Bye-bye.